Looking to improve his job prospects upon graduating college, Min Lee decided to create a realistic military-style mod for Half-Life, inspired by his love of guns and other games like Rainbow Six. This mod, Half-Life Counter-Strike, quickly became one of the most popular multiplayer team-based shooters of its time. But how exactly was it made? And what made it so special? We'll answer these questions and more on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 115th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you the story about one game, one console, just one something relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about, about it, about it, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we're looking back at Counter-Strike, which was released for Windows PCs on November 9th, 2000. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who always manages to disarm the frickin' bomb. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's your secret? You gotta just remain calm and remember the song. What's the song? Cut the red wire, cut the blue wire, cut whatever wire you want. Oh, oh, that works? Uh, no, the problem is that I made up a song. Oh. So you just forget the song and then just take back the training, which is, you know, just hold the button and it'll disarm. Oh. Oh, so don't cut the red wire. I mean, you might. It, hitting the red button might, or hitting the button might cut the red wire. I don't know. You just hold the button and eventually something happens and it stops going beep beep. And that's doesn't a, go boom. That's very, very true. That's a very... Just hold the button. That's 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 the key. That's 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 the key. Hold the button. Yes, sir. Well, what you been playing this week? Well, Dave, this week has seen a little bit of oxygen not included, some RuneScape, a little bit of Rocket League, and a little bit of Diablo 2. A little bit of Diablo. Yes, sir. How about yourself? What have you been up to this week? Rocket League, Diablo, Vampire Survivors, Marvel Snap on my phone, which is this little like card like card game based around the Marvel universe. And um Persona 5. I spent a, a good part of my weekend playing Persona 5. So I'm making Making some headways there. Definitely making some headways there. So, right on. So, Counter Strike. <laughs> yes, Counter Strike. So, Counter Strike. You, uh, you a fan? I've played the sequel, Global Offensive. It's not really my cup of tea. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I mean, maybe I was just very bad at it, but I just couldn't really get into it. Um, but I do think that it is enjoyable, just not something that I go out of my way to play. I think that's really funny, considering that you, at least from my 
my perception is that you really like military shooters. And this is very much a military shooter. Yeah, I don't know if it's the FOV, you know, third-person view, um, or just mechanics, or the fact that it's so many goddamn good players out there. Yeah. just kicked the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh, but, I don't know, something about it, I'm just not the most fan of. Maybe it's just the uh, degrees of freedom for movement, the movement itself, the shooting. Something about it just, it, it doesn't quite click with, like, the other shooters for me. It's funny because I would go... My next argument would probably be like, okay, fine, I'll give it to you. I always considered that there was kind of a steep learning curve with Counter-Strike, but you really like playing Tarkov, and I think there's a steep learning curve with Tarkov, too. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, like I said, I have nothing against the game. I can see why it's enjoyable for people. It's just not one that I myself am into. You... Let's see, you would have been five when this was came out. So you kind of missed like when it was super popular, I guess. Because by by the time Global Offensive came out, it was not. It was just not. It, it wasn't. But when the first one came out, everyone was playing it. I mean, everyone was playing it. I got some stories. We'll, we'll go into that. But But first, let's take a look at how we got here, as always. So Counter-Strike was created by Min Lee. Min Lee is a Vietnamese-Canadian video game programmer. He was born in Vietnam. And at a very young age, he and his parents boarded a boat and they immigrated to Canada in 1989. And he's very much like us and so many other video game developers that we've talked about week in and week out, like myself and other video gamers of the 80s. He first remembers playing games on his uh, VIC-20, which was Commodore's 8-bit computer. He worked his way up through the Commodore line after that, playing games on the Commodore 64, then the Commodore 28. Then his family got a PC, you know, 286, 386, 486, uh, Celeron, Pentium, so on and so forth. He, he just remembers going straight up through the line. Some of the titles that he recalls playing as a kid were games like Green Beret, Beachhead, Betrayal at Crondor, Ultima 7, Duke Nukem 3D, the first and second Doom titles, and Quake 1 and 2. In 1996, he went away to Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, looking to receive a bachelor's degree in computer science. His coursework focused mainly on graphics courses with graphics algorithms and so on and so forth. Now, coincidentally, 1996 also saw the release of Quake, the first Quake, id Software, made by id Software. You know, Quake was part, along with Doom, it was really part of a renaissance of first-person shooters. And one really fun thing about Quake is Quake was one of the early games that had its own software development kit. Now, for those of you who don't know what SDKs are, I'll just call it SDK from now on. Uh, software Development Kit or SDKs are software that the company provides for you that allows you to modify their games. So with an SDK, you can make new character models, new, you know, well, it's going to vary depending on how much access they give you. But let's just say you can modify most of the game. Character models, guns maps 
game modes, usually with an SDK. If you learn it well enough, you can rewrite the game and make it to your heart's desire. Um, so Min Lee started playing around with the SDK, and within a year, he had finished his first Quake mod, which was a military-style mod called Navy Seals. Now, this experience led him to being invited to work on a team, the A-Team, actually, which was a team of developers that were working on another Quake mod called Action Quake 2. Now, Action Quake 2 was and is a popular Quake mod. I say is because it can still be found on Steam. It has action players. Popular is kind of a stretch for nowadays, when I checked it a couple nights ago, it had two active players. But still, it's active, huh? That absolutely fits the definition of active. <laughs> it can be found on Steam. It's called Action, but instead of a C where the action is, it's a Q. Um, Ooh, edgy. I was expecting a K. And it's capital. Like quake. It's capital A-Q-T-I-O-N, mm. as in Action Quake. Um, oh, clever. And it advertises itself as the father of Counter-Strike. Now, the description on its Steam profile goes on to read, This fast-paced, unexpected prequel is a multiplayer, team-based, first-person shooter that uses realistic weaponry and locational damage in action-like movie scenarios. And basically, it was developed to recreate the look and feel of an action movie, being fast-paced, and having a semi-realistic damage system. Many of its original maps recreate realistic settings. There's office buildings. There's city streets, for instance. It's a deathmatch style where your point is just to kill other players. But in this game, the damage is locational-based. So if you get shot in the leg, you will bleed out and maybe not move as well as what the, you know, the concept of locational-based damage as opposed to just shoot and die. When it was released, it quickly became one of the most popular Quake 2 mods, ended up being released around Quake 2 time. And this caught the attention of id Software, who reached out to the development team with the desire to include it in a commercial product they were putting together that was called Quake 2 colon Internet Pact 1. Now, this Internet Pack included Action Quake, 11 other publicly available mods, a collection of deathmatch ma deathmatch maps, and a bunch of player skins. Now, I want to bring that up because Counter-Strike is going to be another example. Now, these were all mods for video games, and mods typically you don't pay for, so let's call them free mods. But back in 95, 96, the internet was fledgling. Like, we got our first computer that was a Windows computer in 1995. It was a Packard Bell 95. And we had AOL, which you could only be on for a little bit of time and it was super slow. It was just the internet was not a thing. And so at the time, companies would take all this other content that the other content that people were making and making available online, they would package it together and they would basically make these expansion packs with all the stuff you could typically get on for get for free, but they put it on a CD and package it as a cheap. It, I mean, they were probably five bucks, ten bucks. They were packaged as cheap commercial products. 
Um, Quake did it. Doom did it. Uh, we talked about Diablo having expand. I mean, any number of games kind of did something like that. Duke Nukem had all their extra maps. They had a bunch like that. It was it was just something that all the first person shooters did back then. So this is not anything weird. It was just a way of getting this content to players before it was as easy and simple as it is today. It was, it's just that simple. So Now, while working on the Action Quake mod, Min Lee became friends with Jess Cliff, who was the webmaster of the Action Quake Map Depot, which was their website. Um, in Lee's fourth year of anniversary, he wanted to do something in game development that would help him land a better job upon graduation. I mean, who doesn't want good job prospects when they graduate college, you know? True. At first, he had the idea to revisit his Navy SEALs mod and work on, well, Navy SEALs 2, but this time he wanted to do it as a mod for Valve's Half-Life. Now, Half-Life was just on its way out, Half-Life used a different engine than Quake, because Quake was its software and Half-Life is Valve. And Valve's engine was called Gold Source. So he wanted to take his Navy SEALs mod, but basically call it Navy SEALs 2, but port it over to half the Half-Life engine, Gold Source, and call it Navy SEALs 2. But alas, someone had already made Navy SEALs 2 for Quake as a mod, and so he had to do something else. So he thought of a different military-style mod for the Gold Source engine. He wanted to do something different from all the Quake modding he had done in the past. Now, when Half-Life 2... When Half-Life, not 2, original Half-Life, this was 99. When Half-Life was released, Valve did not have a software development kit. There was no SDK for the Gold Source engine at first. But they, even from the get-go... Because all these first-person shooters were being released with their SDKs, and that was kind of a thing. They had always said, hey, this is a feature that we plan on bringing. Cool your jets. There will be an SDK for Half-Life in time. So, in the meantime, Lee started his work on his mod by simply working on character models that would be integrated into it. True to their word... A few months later, the Gold Source SDK was released, and Min Lee got to work on his new mod, co- his new mod concept, which he called Counter Strike. Now, the idea of countering terrorists became the basis of this mod, and it was inspired by Lee's own interest in guns and the military, along with his love of games like Spec Ops and Rainbow Six. All in all, it took him. I'd say about a month and a half to program Counter-Strike and work on work on getting those early character models into the game. And after about a month and a half, he was able to release what he called Beta 1 of Counter-Strike. Now, it was about this time he brought his webmaster that he met on Action Quake, Just Cliff. He brought him over to the Counter-Strike project to manage Counter-Strike's website and the community. Now, Cliff, to his credit, just Cliff, to his credit, he basically used all his contacts in that community, uh, all the people he knew that were making maps and other content for Quake. He used all these contacts to help build some of the levels for Counter-Strike. And between the two of them, this is where Counter-Strike, Half-Life Counter-Strike, a mod for Half-Life, got its start 
with both Min Lee and Jess Cliff as its co-founders. So Beta 1 was released in June of 1999, and the team solicited feedback from all the players of its beta and actually used feedback to improve the game. Now, again, I know it's kind of hard to think about now, but this was pre-early access. Like, this is... This is something that people really didn't do back then. It was it was actually kind of a cool concept. Most software companies did all their product testing in-house, and that's how they, they released their betas in-house, and their playtesters would come through it and give them their feedback, and then they would continue to they would continue to to work on it that way. So even here, I mean, yes, the internet was just kind of a new thing. But for them to release betas to the general public and solicit feedback to create a game was kind of a cool concept at the time. But still, when Counter-Strike was first released, there really wasn't much interest in it. But they pursued, they kept at it, uh, they were persistent rather. And about the fourth, let's say fifth beta, it really started to catch on with the community. So this would have been sometime in the year 2000. And noticing its popularity, the team was approached by Valve themselves. Now, Valve offered to buy Counter-Strike. They wanted to buy it as an intellectual property. And as part of the offer, they extended a job opportunity to both Min Lee and Jess Cliff to become Valve employees and continue to work on the development of Counter-Strike. Needless to say, the guys accepted both Min Lee and Jess Cliff accepted the offer, and so it came over to Valve, who brought in other software developers. So suddenly it was just not two guys just trying to make this with the help of the internet. It was actual software developers. And uh, by the end of the year, roughly, uh, let's say September of the year 2000, Valve uh, released the first non-beta version of the game. So it was about this time... They were working on the project. A lot of the work was being done by other teams. Cliff was continuing to work on that. Min Lee, on the other hand, he was kind of already hard at work on what he called Counter-Strike 2 because Half-Life 2 was being developed and Half-Life 2 was being created with a different engine called the Source Engine, very popular engine. Um, And so Counter-Strike 2 was being worked on with the Source Engine. However... Somewhere in the midst of that, Valve decided to shelve Counter-Strike 2, and they put it on the shelves. They they delayed it indefinitely. And so Min Lee decided to move on from the project and start his own studio, which we'll get back to shortly. But even still, his project, his little baby, his creation, a modification of the original Half-Life called Half-Life Counter-Strike, came out as a commercial product released by Valve, on November 9th, the year 2000. Now, fun little fact, Rob. Valve wasn't a software publisher then. It was just a development studio. You gotta think, Half-Life was pre... The original Half-Life was pre-Steam Store 2. It wasn't until Half-Life 2 came... Half-Life 2 is the first game I ever installed that the Steam Store came with the game. So this was pre-Steam Store. Prior to this, Valve games were... Valve made their games and they were published on CDs. Wow, that's it's, old. Isn't it weird to think about, though? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's really bizarre. I I remember, like, 
I remember installing Half-Life 2 and it's like, hey, install our Steam store. And it's like, well, what the hell is this? Like, it it didn't have any of the features that Steam has now. It wasn't a store for starters. It was it was a collective place for Valve software to go. And you're like, what the hell is this I'm installing? You know, it, it was weird back then. And it's so weird to think it's so commonplace now, but it wasn't even a thing with the original Half-Life. Half-Life was developed by Valve, but it was actually published by Sierra Studios, Sierra Online. Now, we learned all about Sierra Online back in episode 89, uh, when we learned about King's Quest and its creator, Roberta Williams. Her and her husband, Ken Williams, founded Sierra Online. Um, King's Quest, of course, was one of um, Sierra's most successful titles, which allowed it to turn into a flourishing publishing studio. When Counter-Strike was published by Sierra, it was bundled with a lot of other games, kind of like how the Quake Pack was bundled. Uh, these games included Team Fortress Class- Team Fortress Classic. Now, I don't know if you know this, Rob, but the first Team Fortress act- was actually a Quake mod, and Team Fortress Classic is when they ported it over to uh, Valve and the Gold Source engine, and then Team Fortress 2, which is the version everyone knows, is when they ported it over to the Source engine. The first expansion of Half-Life was included on this disc. That was called Opposing Force. Now, Opposing Force was actually developed by Gearbox Software, who now is famous for Borderlands, the Borderlands for- for franchise. And the Half-Life expansion Opposing Force was actually their first title as a studio. Uh, and they got their start making most of the first the expansions for Half-Life. I don't know if you knew that. Had no idea. Yep. Opposing Half-Life Opposing Force. That was their that was their first um, title. And it was actually it followed the same story as the original Half-Life, but it was told from the perspective of a Marine, a U.S. Marine, I think it is. So it was taking place at the same time, but you were seeing what was happening elsewhere on the complex through the eyes of another character. Alongside these, uh, aside from Team Fortress Classic and Opposing Force, it was also bundled with a few other mods. There was one called Wanted, there was one called Half-Life Absolute Redemption, and there was one called Firearms. And so it was this cool little collection of uh, Half-Life expansions and mods that that... Uh, that Sierra packaged together and released as part of Counter-Strike. Now, if you don't know what Counter-Strike is, uh, honestly, I think that's a possibility. It's a first-person shooter game in which you either join a terrorist team or a counter-terrorist team. You can also spectate, um, but you join one of the other teams. There are different maps and different objectives, depending on the map. Some of the objectives include bomb defusal. So the terrorists have a specific spot that they have to they have to carry a bomb and plant it in a specific spot. And then they have to protect it from being disarmed from the counter-terrorists before time runs out. There's a hostage rescue where the terrorists are, re- are holding a group of hostages and the counter-terrorists have to rescue them. And there's also, for instance, an assassination mode. One of the counter-terrorists becomes a VIP and the rest of the team basically has to escort them and protect them to get from one side of the map to the other. Now, the game had money. You earn money by doing things like 
you know, defusing the bomb or setting the bomb or just killing people, playing the game in general. And at the beginning of each round, you could use the money to purchase armor, to purchase guns, to purchase weapons. You could you could kind of uh, you could kind of personalize your loadout that way. The thing to know is that Half-Life is a team-based first-person shooter. I when it came out, it was super popular. I remember going away to college. It would have been 2002. So it would have been a couple years after this came out. And everybody was playing. Everybody was playing Counter-Strike. In fact, I had a neighbor who flunked out of college because all he ever did was sit in his room, drink Mountain Dew, and play Counter-Strike. You would literally hear the sounds of Counter-Strike from his room day in and day out. It's not an exaggeration. That's all it ever did. I, it was. It was one of my neighbors flunked out of flunked out of it. Was there on scholarship and he flunked out because of Counter Strike. He was an idiot. Well, damn. That's uh, <laughs> that's something else. Yeah, I'm never gonna forget Counter Strike because I mean, like that. That's that's how it's stuck in my mind is having a, having a, a neighbor in college that would just. I mean, it literally was the room next to mine. It's not like down the hall or anything. It was literally my neighbor. And that's all he ever did was play, play Counter Strike. He was he was addicted to Counter Strike, and he sometimes played StarCraft. Um, but this was definitely his cup of tea. This was everyone's cup of tea. I I played a lot of Counter Strike, but I never got into into it because it does have a very steep skill ceiling. It was a very welcoming community. I don't think that toxicity was nearly as prominent back then as it is now. So people would take you in and you'd be able to learn, you'd get there. But it took a lot of time and effort to get good enough to be skilled to the point where you could be competitive in Counter-Strike. But it was fun. There were not a lot of team-based shooters at the time. I mean, you did have like the Quake and the Unreals of the world. But in terms of a military-style shooter... You know, this is this is this is before Battlefield and and the you know the modern warfare and all those ones that made that style really popular. This was before all that, so this is one of the first really true military shooters that's team based. That's like this, and I would argue it's different than the others. Battlefield took it to a big scale, and Call of Duty did the fun thing with deathmatch and the you know, the um the perks and everything made that super addictive. So they were they took the formula and did something with it. But Counter Strike was a fun a fun little fun little uh military style shooter. Alright. That is that's me rambling on about Counter Strike for a while. Rob, I I'm lukewarm on Counter Strike. I, I, I was never in love with it, but I played it. I understand why it was popular. How did other people feel about it at the time? Well, Dave, we're going to kick it off with our critic reviews as always. And starting off, we have Scott Osborne, who in his review of Half-Life Counter-Strike for GameSport, wrote that if you don't have the exceptional Half-Life, this new retail edition of Counter-Strike is a chance to get a standalone version of this outstanding multiplayer mod. He continues writing that Counter-Strike divides players into teams of terrorists and counter-terrorists in four game modes. Rescue, hold hostages, bomb target or defuse bomb, 
escape from slash garden area, and assassinate slash guard a VIP. None of these ideas are particularly original, but they're well implemented and they strike an effective balance between realistic stealth and frenzied action. The thematically varied maps maximize tactical possibilities with alternate routes, multiple levels, and abundant cover. Games are played in short rounds, and when you're killed, you sit out the round and as an invisible observer. There are no deathmatch-style respawns. This creates a strong social aspect, because with dead players chatting, there can be an enormous sense of tension for the remaining players stalking each other. Another big impetus to stay alive is that the more successful you and your team are each round, the more money you earn for buying bigger and better weapons. Unfortunately, this can lead to a huge imbalance in firepower when one team wins a few consecutive rounds. One of Counter-Strike's biggest appeals has always been the selection of weapons. In addition to a knife and assorted grenades, there's a wide variety of accurately modeled pistols, shotguns, submachine guns, assault rifles, and sniper rifles. Each weapon has unique characteristics, so mastering them all and learning which is best for different situations is a lot of fun, and it adds replay value. For instance, high-caliber weapons can penetrate thin walls and doors, which makes lugging a heavy belt-fed machine gun worthwhile when the enemy has been doing more hiding than fighting. Location-specific damage modeling means that shots to the head are more likely to get an instant kill. Counter-Strike is an online-only game that has experienced the mixed blessing of its immense popularity. You're guaranteed to find plenty of available game sessions online at any hour. However, cheating and even verbal abuse have long marred the gameplay in Counter-Strike. The game is not in any way newbie-friendly, despite the inclusion of a simple offline tutorial. You'll have to leave your ego at the door when you encounter the countless veteran players you'll face online. Fortunately, the abundance of experienced players means you can quickly learn the tricks of the trade through observation. It should also be noted that while Counter-Strike does require tactical thinking and teamwork, it's still a fast-paced shooter at its core. So not only are lightning-fast reflexes necessary to excel, but so are a fast connection and low ping. Still, despite its weaknesses, Counter-Strike is undeniably influential and has already helped inspire countless similar mods and games. It's easy to see why. Counter-Strike has a simple yet effective design that's brought to life with superior maps and vivid graphics and sound. The end result utterly exciting and addictive. Counter-Strike is a model of its kind and a thrilling action game. Very true. Very, very, very true indeed, Dave. And next up, we have Joe Dodson, who in his Counter-Strike review for Game Revolution, writes that the original Half-Life marked the pinnacle of single-player gaming. It comes as little surprise, then, that this downloadable mod marks the pinnacle of the multiplayer experience. Counter-Strike is the best multiplayer game of 2000, bar none. The game is essentially a team-based first-person shooter. Action takes place in matches between terrorists and counter-terrorists. While there are several maps, the missions are limited to kill escort a very important person to a helipad, 
prevent to cause prevent or cause destruction of a bomb site and prevent or rescue hostages. And of course, any match ends with the death of everyone on a given team. Counter-Strike's missions are set in dynamic, intuitively engineered environments. Imagine roaming the streets of Italy or the back alleys of a Middle Eastern villa. It's incredibly absorbing and detailed. Thanks to such dedicated level design, strategy is a huge part of the game. A team who hopes to win must have a deep understanding of each level and its strategic strong and weak points. This brings me to teamwork, which is the most important aspect of the game. By using a money system, the designers have tried to take the emphasis off of individual accomplishments and place it on team gains, where you only get $300 per kill, but $4,000 per win. I guess the idea is that this will force people to figure out and fulfill the true potential of the game. Namely, the awesome squad-based warfare. Nothing can beat a coordinated, experienced team in Counter-Strike, except an even more coordinated and experienced team. Unless you're in a clan, the chances that you and your team will be able to perfectly coordinate are slight. Most teams in Counter-Strike are more mob than team, and usually accomplish little more than collective death. Games often come down to the three or four extremely skilled players on each server. While the potential for team play is definitely astounding, the expertise to be attained by yourself is nothing short of mind-blowing. I've never played a game in which there was such room to grow and evolve as a player. I've been playing this game for only six months, and I'm still getting better. The only danger here is that Counter-Strike might be hard to get into for gamers who are frustrated by starting off at square one. You'll get blown off the map a few times before scoring some kills. Trust me on that. The only real flaw with Counter-Strike is a ridiculous one. Apparently, the designers wanted gamers to be able to really customize their skins, so they left most of that portion of the game open-ended. The result is that anyone with a decent knowledge of scripts or the tenacity to download them can cheat pretty mercilessly. With the right scripts, players can turn invisible, make enemies appear brighter, make themselves look like their enemies, and even crash servers. This blows. Fortunately, it doesn't happen often, and it doesn't take admins long to boot cheaters when they pop up. But every once in a while, it can ruin a really good game. But such is a life of online play. He finishes his review by saying Half-Life Counter-Strike has redefined online play. This game has more potential and more online gaming goodness than any other game I've ever played. While better things surely await us in the future, Counter-Strike is a video game, re video game revolution you can take part in right now. You know, Rob, it's really interesting that he brought up cheaters. Cheating was an incredibly big problem as Counter-Stop... Counter -stop Counter-Strike's popularity began to rise. So much so that a few years later in 2002, 
Valve responded by making it, it Counter-Strike was actually the first game to utilize what's called Valve Anti-Cheat, uh, which we called VAC, V-A-C. Uh, and and VAC bans and, and VAC is just commonplace now. I mean, it's on like every game, pretty much. Prior to that, they really didn't have anti-cheat, but um, people tried combating it, you know, due to rampant cheating on another Valve game, which was Team Fortress Classic. Someone else actually made Punkbuster, which Valve rejected because they were obviously working on their, their own on, on their own VAC. I only mention that, Rob, because Punkbuster is pretty much what's found on all the original Battlefield games. So you're probably pretty familiar with it. Oh, absolutely. The number of times I've seen that damn punk buster loading, but it did a okay job of getting rid of the cheaters. It did. It did. Yeah, it was it was originally made for Team Fortress Classic. They wanted to bring it over the Counter-Strike, but Valve said, uh-uh, we've got our own thing going on. Aside from Battlefield, in case you don't know, punk buster was also used on the early Call of Duty games, uh, the first three Far Cries, all the early Medal of Honor games. It was It was used on a whole bunch of stuff. But Valve didn't use it. Valve used VAC, VAC, their Valve Anti-Cheat. And truthfully, there's not much that we know about Valve Anti-Cheat. You know, that Valve doesn't talk about it much. Because if they did, uh, hackers would have an opportunity to write around it. Uh, what we do know about its design is that it's constantly updating itself. And it's only sent to machines in very small portions for the games that you're playing to its servers as it needs them so that no one can see the entirety of the program running at one time. So what this means is that even if hackers figure out how to work around the current piece of it that they can see, they'll never be able to hack the entire thing. That is why it works so well. If you're curious what it does, it it basically looks for cheats as you run the software. It, it has a version of the program and it looks for a program running itself differently. And if it detects a difference, it'll flag the software for, you know, software engineers at Valve to validate what it found. And if you're found guilty of using a cheat, you can be banned for various lengths of time from Valve software. Originally, when it first came out, the software only did 24 hour bans, but eventually that was increased. And now there are a variety of bans up to permanent. You can be perma banned. And honestly, sometimes, you know, if you ever see it, back bans make the news because cheaters find a way to get ahead of new games and then back catches up to them sometimes in a big way. Uh, so, Rob, you talked about Global Offensive, right? Counter-Strike Global Offensive. That's the version of Counter-Strike you're familiar with? Correct. So in December of 2018, over 600,000 accounts were banned most of which were people that figured out how to cheat in Global Offensive. And that is currently the record for a, the amount, single most amount of VAC bans that occurred in a single month. And yeah, that's basically VAC, v, Valve Anti-Cheat is how Valve worked on countering cheating in Counter-Strike. So I just thought I'd pop that in there. I had done a little research on it. And since he brought up how bad cheating was, please know. Valve worked on it in time. Took them a couple years, but they got there. Uh, yeah. All right, Rob, what else did people think about Counter-Strike? Well, Dave, as always, we're going to take it away from the critics and kick it on over to the players. So starting off, we have Cartanum, Cartanum 
who in November of 2001 wrote about Counter-Strike on Moby Games that it is the start of a new style of first-person shooters. Writing, since I grew up with the likes of Doom and Quake, it took me a while to get used to the whole realism style of Counter-Strike. But once I finally picked up on the tricks of the trade, I haven't stopped playing. The graphics are important to the survival aspects of Counter-Strike. The two different teams, terrorists and counter-terrorists, both have different skins, making it much easier to recognize a teammate. And if you have a good eye, you can tell which gun the player is holding. So you know if you should take him on or back out of the firefight. The maps are of great variety, which adds to the last ability factor greatly. And of course, there are plenty more to download over the internet, or you can make some yourself. The gameplay itself may seem difficult at first, but once you get going, you'll find yourself flying through to camping spots before the enemy get near the area in no time at all. The menu system used is very simple and easy to use, even for beginners. And because you're playing with teammates, you can watch what they do and learn from their mistakes. I enjoyed the fact that no matter how many times you play a particular map, it will never be the same game. People learn from their mistakes, take different paths to trick you, or fall back in ambush at a particular point. It's never the same. But it's not all good. Depending on who you play with, sometimes people don't play as a team. Bad move. This is a team game. Nothing else. If you want to win, you have to stick together or play tactics. Really skilled players can go it alone, of course. But if you're just starting out, it's better to stick with a group. The only major problem here is lag. If you're playing over the net, unless you have a high-speed connection, don't expect a smooth game. LAN is the better choice, although that can also have problems if there's too many on at the same time. If you prefer blasting action non-stop, stick with Quake. But everyone should at least try Counter-Strike once. The combo of team play and tactics is perfect. <laughs> That's funny. Why is that funny, Dave? I don't know if I'd call it perfect. I just think that in hindsight, maybe not so much, but I'm glad he liked it. Oh, absolutely. Maybe not perfect, <coughs> but compared to the team play and tactics of Quake, I would say it's damn near perfect. So next up, Dave, we have Sardonyx on Steam, who wrote that after nine years of unlimited fun with friends, I finally quit Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike and all of its versions is just a great FPS game that anyone can enjoy. It's a great game and all, you just can't stop playing it. You can just sit and play with your friends for days without stopping. Days, huh? Days. 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 The huge weaponry option you can choose from and the smooth sound of the game is just freaking addicting. With this game, I've met so many different people and unique friends. This game 
is literally gold. To all the young players who are looking for a good, cheap, and fun game to play with their friends, I highly recommend this. I've got, using Steam's record keeping, 2,484 hours in Counter-Strike. And who knows how many more hours in a not-so-official Steam version of the game. Great game. I mean, that's... I don't know of a single game that I have that many hours in. No, me either. I mean, collectively, yes, I have a lot of hours and well exceed that with maybe three or four games. But 2,500 hours, essentially, of just one game? I mean... It's impressive. That That's literally 100 days of playing the same game and then some. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, why I thought maybe we should take his advice, you know? I mean, maybe we should. So also up from Steam, we have Mobidly. A Beast who writes, Counter-Strike is one of the greatest and undermined games in history. It is, in my opinion, the best game to ever have a crosshair. It is not a contact sport. So for the girly girls... It is an activity to indulge in. It starts off with a team trying to kill another team. Mm-hmm. I started playing Counter-Strike when I noticed jacking off isn't the only activity to do on a computer. I started inviting a lot of friends out and getting drinks. Hopefully, I assume to, you know, not to play counter-strike in the end not check <laughs> off but let's let's get to the end uh so inviting friends out and getting drinks as well as a boom box to spend a nice summer day in the living room oh thank goodness playing this wonderful game not with themselves or each other i mean technically with each other but in the terms of a video game mobidly wanted to play it every chance that <clears throat> every chance that they could On the road of Counter-Strike Adventures, they encountered a couple of problems. Those being that nobody was as fervent as they were about playing, and that when they did play with their friends, nobody was good enough. So it wasn't a lot of fun. He continues a review, writing, When I play Counter-Strike, the whole world disappears. Only I, the mouse, and my teammates remain. Well, that seems a little counterintuitive because then you're forgetting about the opponents. How can you be good if you don't know the opponents are there? Mm -hmm. Anywho, they're united in a common goal. Strive collectively toward an end the team desires. Each player has a spot to hold. They stand ready and waiting, eager for their chance to aid the team in what they hope will be a forthcoming victory. Thus, Counter-Strike celebrates the unity of man, the indomitable spirit in all of us that pushes us and drives us towards excellence. When I play Counter-Strike, I play until my veins pump battery acid, and then I play some more. I wonder how much, how long that takes, actually, Um, to go from blood to battery acid. That's... Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I guess it really depends on the flow rate. 
Counter-Strike is unique among the games because it teaches all of us that no matter where we are in life, there's a role for us to play. And we can help our fellow man by fulfilling that role, and thereby, our destiny. What destiny might you ask? Well, I spoke before of unity. And it is that unity that brings us all together like one big loving family. That is the nature of Counter-Strike. The many working as one. One machine made of well-oiled cogs and wheels moving in unison. Happy to play their part in the production of something greater than themselves. Not that these small metal objects are actually animate. I'm only, of course, speaking metaphorically. Over the course of the years, I have increased in skill. But I have learned a greater lesson than how to be a better Counter-Strike player. I have learned how to cooperate with a team to accomplish a goal that we all share. Even if that team is less than ideal. I have realized that Counter-Strike is about more than just one's athletic ability. Instead, there is a deeper meaning behind the Colt, the AK, the AWP, the Deagle, the Sands Under My Feet, <laughs> and more importantly, the teammates at my side. I love them. It is the human element of Counter-Strike that gives Counter-Strike its greatness. In conclusion, I love Counter-Strike. I love to win. I love pushing myself to my physical limits. It's that feeling that first drove me to the computer. For every second that I am not playing Counter-Strike, there is only an unquenchable thirst to play. A thirst that grows as every minute passes by when I am outside, sitting at the television, or playing sports. I had an extraordinary time playing this game, and I will return to look at the future students of this game to see that bright, eager look on their faces to remind me how I used to feel. It's like that dude was writing some some school essay on Counter-Strike. I I am totally about it. You could tell the emotion that was put into that. And I, I tried my best, but I can only convey a small portion of just how much energy and love and compassion that this person has for Counter-Strike. True. Uh, a lot of people have love for Counter-Strike. It was, it, it, it was once the most played game on Steam. I don't actually know if that's a statistic. I, I doubt if it wasn't. So, um, And the Counter-Strike series carried on. You know, in 2004, they came out with Counter-Strike Condition Zero. It's made by a separate team. It was basically a graphical overhaul of Counter-Strike. It had higher quality models and improved graphics. They also had a single-player mode with bots. But it took a really long while to develop, so... For most people, by the time they released it, it was kind of already out of date because it didn't do anything new to Counter-Strike. That would have been March 2004. In October 2004, though, they came out with Counter-Strike Source. This is when Half-Life 2 came out. It was actually bundled with Half-Life 2 initially. 
And Half-Life 2 is designed on a brand new engine, better performance, better everything, uh, called the Source Engine. So Counter-Strike would be updated, <laughs> uploaded, and updated to the Source Engine and released as Counter-Strike Source. It would later be re-released as a standalone. Nobody really liked Counter Condition Zero, but Counter-Strike Source was actually received really well. And then, Rob, you said you played Global Offensive. That's actually still the current version of Counter-Strike. It came out in 2012, so it's about 10 years old. It's the current version. It still gets updates. Still one of the most played games on Steam. I checked it the other day while writing the, you know, while writing our notes, taking notes for this episode. And when I was writing, it had 453,000 active players. That's nothing to slouch at. So there are half a million people almost out there still playing Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And... They still use it in competitive esports, uh, so I'm going to take a moment and talk about that. You know, the pioneer of professional video game tournaments is considered the CPL, the Cyber Athlete Professional League. It's been around since 1997, but uh, not too long after Counter-Strike came out, specifically in 2001, it started using Counter-Strike. It first hosted it in the Winter Championships, which had a prize pool of about $150,000, which was in unheard of at the time. I think it's still a lot of money now, but you know, now we have people winning millions. And that kind of got this whole esports thing started like seriously started. Um 2002 to 2007 was a golden age for competitive Counter-Strike. Many different competitive gaming leagues other, you know, including the CPL played Counter-Strike and it was easily the most popular game played as an esport in those five years. And really, it stayed as one of the most popular esport titles until about 2010. 2010 is about when the MOBAs took over, like Dota, Dota and League of Legends and the stuff that a lot of people play nowadays um, as serious esports. So, but for a while, all every esport that you would tune into counter-strike was what was played i mean it, it was a phenomenon that's the only way i could put it is when this first came out it was a phenomenon it was everywhere everyone was playing it everyone wanted to play it it was it was quite a thing but there hasn't been a new one released in 10 years and a lot of the competitive gaming scene moved on when um, global offensive came out because they felt that it didn't have as high of a a, a skill ceiling as as the others, you know, it was easier to pick up. And so that really divided the competitive community and actually split it to where some people moved on to do Global Offensive and others stayed doing Counter-Strike slash Counter-Strike Source. And it never really kind of recovered from that split, you know, because about that time, like I said, other, other forms of competitive gaming started to take over. Now, as for the people that worked on it, Min Lee, like I had said before, left Valve in 2006 after Counter-Strike 2 was shelved. It was a little bit after I noted there, but, you know, he left a few years later and started working on his own project, which was called Tactical Intervention. It was a spiritual successor to Counter-Strike, very similar to it, but it wasn't Counter-Strike. It wasn't received very well. It's poorly reviewed, and it just never amounted to anything. In 2013, he joined Face Punch Studios as a contractor, and he was actually part of the team that developed Rust. You ever play Rust, Rob? No, can't say that I have. 
No, you've never actually played Rust? I, I've i seen the game, but it's not one that I've spent the money on and played. So I, I can honestly say I've, I've never played it. Interesting. I find that a little surprising, but that's okay. In 2018, Min Lee left Face Punch and he joined Pearl Abyss. They are the developer of the online MMORPG Black Desert Online. And he was hired to work on an unknown project. And that's the last we know of him or said project. He, for all we know, he's still working on it here in 2022. The other person credited as the co-creator of Counter-Strike is Jess Cliff. He was fired from Valve in 2018 after he got into some legal trouble that involved being charged with the sexual exploitation of a minor. He maintains to this day that he was catfished, had no idea that she was underage, and now spreads the message to others to be very careful about the people you meet on the internet. He hasn't really done anything. He fell off off the radar after getting after that whole mess. So, and that's that's it. Um, in terms of a legacy, Counter Strike was very popular for quite a while, and I I would argue that it very much laid the foundation for competitive gaming competitive esports as we know it today that's my that's my argument it it a lot of a lot of professional gaming organizations got their start by hosting tournaments for counter-strike it was a game that 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 very much supported team-based gameplay at a time when there were others that didn't i mean we did have quake and unreal tournaments but Counter-Strike was the real realistic military and definitely promoted it. You had to be very, very good at team-based play. And that just translated well to cont- competitive e-gaming. And, and everyone wanted to play it. So that's what we have there. That's what we have there. Uh, you know, we've talked about esports before, Rob. We talked about it when we did an episode on Overwatch. And we had a special guest then, didn't we? Uh, yeah, that we did, Dave. We did absolutely have a special guest. Yeah, we had a director for a collegiate esports program. Mm, yes, indeedy, that we did. That was quite a while ago, but if you'd like to go check it out, uh, if you go back through our show archives at www.memorycardlane.com, you can go and find an Overwatch episode. I believe it was called Overwatch Five Years In. It's when we celebrated the five-year anniversary of Overwatch. And of course, now there's Overwatch 2. We kind of talked about what that was going to look like, at least what we knew at the time. It was a while ago. So yeah, go check out old episodes on our website, memorycardlane.com. You can also find a calendar of upcoming events. You can find all of my research notes for the episodes and the terminal links if you want to read more about everything. You can find a link to our Discord. Our biographies are on there. And there are links to our social media. I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong. Rob, where can people find you online these days? I am on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. All right, fat boy rips it is. Well, with that being said, each week, I try to tell you a story about something relevant to the current week in gaming history. This week, 22 years ago, Counter-Strike was released to the world. While telling you our story, we hope to teach you something new about, in this case, Counter-Strike, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. One of the best things about doing this podcast 
is that we learn new things. Um, you know, I, I don't go in every week knowing everything about every game and doing my research. I learn a couple of new things every time. That to me is very satisfying, a whole lot of fun. I love it. I love teaching you guys. As part of our commitment to teaching and learning, we like to do a roundtable every week and talk about our biggest takeaways. So, Rob, what did you learn this week? Well, Dave, I would have to say that it's the simple fact that Counter-Strike started as a mod. I genuinely did not know that. I've always known it as its own standalone game, which to me just seemed like it was its own game. I definitely never would have guessed that it was created on an SDK uh, by someone and that it started just as a mod for a game. It's kind of kind of cool, actually, when you think of it that way, to know it that is. It, it came entirely from something else, just from not some big name studio and things. It was just, you know, hey, this guy got an SDK and he was having some fun. And hey, here's a cool game that is still huge. Yeah, very true. So that's mine. Uh, it's yeah, it was a mod. So how about yours? I don't. Re- I-, I forgot that the first Half-Life mod was created by Gearbox. That was pretty cool. I don't think we talked about that when we talked about Borderlands. I don't remember doing a history of Gearbox. We'll probably have to do that sometime. I could be wrong, and maybe I forgot it, but that was my thing. I didn't know that Counter-Strike was the first VAC game. I did know that cheating was a problem, um, but I didn't know as a result of Counter-Strike's popularity, Valve was kind of forced to come up with VAC, so that was kind of my takeaway. Um, and I had no idea that Men League got his start on Quake. So a whole bunch of fun things for me. So, yeah. And that, my friends, is the story of Counter-Strike and its creators. So with that being said, Rob, I think I'm about ready to take it out of here and move on to next week. But before I do so, is there anything you would like to add to today's episode? Well, sure thing, Dave. As always, I do want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening to us week in and week out, or for the first time, and, you know, unfortunately, maybe for the last time. Uh, No matter how many times you've listened, how many times you will in the future or in the past or, you know, any any at all, maybe this is the one done. We appreciate you being here and joining us on this journey that we take week by week. Awesome. Well, then, with that being said, let's look forward to next week. Rob, I've been looking forward to next week for quite a while, actually. Oh, have um, you, Dave? Why is I that? Ha- I have, because we're going to have a lot of fun next week. We're celebrating the 15th anniversary of one of our collective favorite video game franchises. Uh, Is it My Little Pony? It is. Yes. Nice. Hell yes. yeah. Woo! <laughs> so, originally slated to be a new entry in the Prince of Persia series, Assassin's Creed started out with the simple desire of wanting to make a game in which the Prince of Persia wanted to be the king. Now, how it got from there to Assassin's Creed is a story for next week. So join us again then as we learn all about the Assassins and the Templars on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Boo-dee-doo-da-bop-dum. Boo-dee-doo-da-bop-dum. Boo-dee-boom.